Have you ever been saved? There's a family story in my life um, that I don't remember. I was very small, but we were vacationing somewhere, and uh, the rest of my family was down at the other end of the pool, and I walked into the deep end and just, just took three steps, clunk, and went right to the bottom. And um, apparently they got me back out and I lived, so I don't, I don't remember the story, but I was apparently saved once. I was kind of going through the, the list of, of events in my life that kind of stand out, and I was trying to think, have I been saved? There was one time when I was in third grade, I was riding my bike in the, um, uh, we had some boondocks to the north end of town, and I went on my bike over there and was kind of doing, you know, riding up and down wheelies and so forth. Anyway, I was going down this hill, and I found out some, some flaws in the, in the maintenance of my bike, and I went over the, over the handlebars and uh, skidded for a while on my face, and um, uh, apparently I was quite a mess because I flagged down a guy who was doing the same thing on a motorcycle, and he, he, he took off his, his visor, he lifted up his visor, took off his sunglasses, and looked at my face and said, where do you live, kid? And so then he drove me home. Because um, I was apparently a mess, went to the hospital and they cleaned me up, and I got out of school a couple of weeks early. So it was it was actually a pretty good deal for me. But um, it explains my face, if you're wondering. Um, but I don't remember really being saved. I don't remember, you know, being saved from a moment of crisis. And and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Savior. We've been in this conversation for the last five weeks, or this is the fifth week, um, about uh, uh, this memory aid that the early church used. Uh, to, to keep in mind the things that they wanted to to remember and to be able to talk to people about um, about their faith to understand what it was that they that they believed about God and it, it was this this uh, mnemonic or this acronym ICTHUS and it stands for don't 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 tell me see if I can I've had five weeks to practice it stands for Jesus uh, Christos Theo show me I give up. So, soter. it is uh, the Greek words that mean Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks is that this, this memory aid uh, reminds us of five, five really important things about the, the, the Christian faith. First, that Jesus is, is a person, um, he, is a, he is a human being, but his name gives us access to the throne of God. He is a powerful name. Jesus is, is a name worth remembering. Christos, we, we saw meant anointed, or literally uh, what it means is king. And so we asked ourselves, uh, who are the authorities in our life? Who is in charge of the different parts of our life? And how good a job they're doing? How, how good a job are they doing? If it's not Jesus, how good a job is, am I or the other people in my life at ruling my life? And if, if they aren't doing a good job, what's keeping me from having Jesus rule my life? Uh, Theo reminds us that God is not some impersonal force. God is not gravity or, or lightning or something that is impersonal. God is a person who has um, attributes, who has intentions, who has purposes, who has possessions, that God is a God who, who has things. And then last week we saw Son. Jesus is the Son of God. And what that reminded us of is that if God has made us his children, if we have become children of the Most High God, we have in Christ an elder brother, the perfect elder brother, the one who found us, um, who didn't stay at home on the ranch, but when we went and, and to a far country, when we went to a mud, mud pie, um, started making mud pies, he sought us out and found us and said, God, the Father, Dad, 
wants to see you back at home. You go, I'll take care of this here. That he sent us back home so we could know that we could have a relationship with our Father. So we've been looking at these five points, and today we're going to look at the word Savior, um, because Jesus is a Savior. The word soter means Savior. It means somebody who saves you. Um, I think there's a next slide somewhere. Oh, okay. Sorry. This this art is uh, all over the place. It's where we get the fish art on doors. It's where we get fish art on cars. So so that's where uh, ichthus means fish, and that's what we've been looking at. So I think now 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 comes the slide. I'm so it's so cool to have a there. Okay, so save. The word save means um, to to keep from harm, to rescue from danger. It's exactly what you would expect. Uh, in this earthquake, I haven't seen anything in the news about it, but oftentimes in earthquakes, people get trapped there. The, the door won't open. Uh, maybe um, they're actually, the, the house, the building they're in collapsed and they're trapped under rubble or something. I don't know. We may hear stories like that as the news stories come out. Uh, somebody who has been in a bad situation is rescued. Um, we, we, we read in the news about the Coast Guard uh, coming to rescue a boat that's in danger of sinking. Um, we hear about firefighters who, who rush into a burning building and, and rescue somebody who's, who's lost their... That's what most of us think of when we talk about saving, when we talk about a Savior. And that's really what the word means. But that can be difficult for us because a lot of us, when we evaluate our spiritual life, we can't think of times when we've been saved. Maybe we can, but a lot of us, we go, well, no, you know, I kind of grew up in the church and I just kind of always always kind of had a relationship with God and, and I can't really think of being saved from a danger in the way that, that other people have. I, I was talking to a woman once who, who was describing, this was her history, and she was saying she always kind of admired a friend of hers who was in a 12-step program because because he had had such a... Um, dramatic experience of God's grace uh, uh, really transforming his life. And she had always kind of felt a little bit wistful. You know, it's like, I, I wish I'd had more of a dramatic salvation event um, in my own life. But because of, because of the nature of her life, she hadn't. So as she kind of examined her life, she couldn't point to a day or a particular occasion where she, she was saved in some, in some uh, fashion that was clear to point to other people. So, so, what I want to do today, and I, my, my guess is a lot of us are like that. And what I want to do today is I want to look at a, a different passage of Scripture that uses different language to talk about the same saving event that Jesus did. And maybe what it'll do is help help us to understand a, a different aspect of salvation. And and so what I'd like to do is take a look at this passage of Scripture from Second uh, Corinthians. Uh, Paul is talking about salvation. We see that right at the very beginning and end of this passage. He's clearly talking about salvation. He says, He, Jesus, died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for him. This is very standard uh, uh, salvation language we find all through the Scriptures. Throughout the New Testament, we see the way that Jesus is a Savior who died and was raised for us. And Paul is right on the same page there. And at the end, he says, uh, at the beginning of chapter 6, I should say, he, he gives what is a very common statement about salvation. He says that was not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that's available today. It's not just something you, you, you have to work toward, that if you, if you earn enough credit with God, then you can have that salvation. He says that's available right now. No matter, no matter what kind of pig pen you're living in, no matter what your circumstances are, you can be saved right now. It's not something you have to, to work toward. 
I mean, it's not something where the offer has expired. He says, today is the day of salvation. So that part of this passage is very standard, very typical of the way we see salvation discussed throughout the scriptures. But then in between those bookends, Paul says something that's very different. He gives a a really different metaphor to help us to understand what salvation is like. So what I want to do is I want to look, starting in verse 16, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in this way. He says, you look around, you see things differently. Something has changed in you, and it makes you see the world differently. Yesterday when I was at the, the, the Boy Scouts uh, putting up the, the, um, the bulletin board things at the Brother Francis shelter, what I noticed was everybody who was missing teeth, because I was missing teeth. I've been to the Brother Francis shelter many times before, and it just never really jumped out at me. But because I'm missing a tooth, suddenly I'm noticing who does and does not have a full set of teeth. It's just suddenly something, I'm seeing the world differently because I'm different. It somehow has changed my perspective. And he says, he says, uh, why is that? If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. He says, because we are in Christ, we see the world differently. We have been changed. We begin to see the world not the way we used to, not from a human point of view, but from God's point of view. We begin to see the world as it really is in God's point of view. From God's perspective. He says everything has become new. This this passage, sometimes we may miss what he's getting at here because we're so familiar with, with a piece of what he's got to say. We hear it as the words of assurance of pardon. When when we confess our sins, we fail to, to live the way that children of God should live, and so we, we bring our, our confession before God, and then we hear those words that that, that is behind us, that everything old has passed away. The the things we've done wrong this week, the things we did wrong 30 years ago, the things we're not going to do wrong for another 10 years, everything old has passed away. And it's it's true and it's a great assurance. But that's not all Paul was getting at in this passage. He says everything, including our perspective, how we see the world, everything has been made new. And then he says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Suddenly, instead of talking about salvation, he's talking about reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is to reestablish an interrupted or broken relationship. Paul has changed the metaphor from talking about salvation to reconciliation. And then he says, oh, and by the way, we have a role in it. He says he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I think Paul is talking about himself primarily here in this passage, but what he's saying is this is what is is this is what Christians become, and as a result, it's what Christians do. And it's the reason this letter didn't die with Paul. People kept it around because this ministry was not given merely to Paul. We have received a, a ministry of reconciliation. And then in case we missed it, in case we weren't sure what he was getting at, he repeats it in different words, but the same two thoughts. He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So twice, in case we miss it the first time, he says two things. One, God is reconciling the world to himself, and two, he's entrusting that work to us. 
And the, the question is, what does this have to do with salvation? And the answer may not be obvious to us because the world has changed. And high-speed travel, high-speed communication has changed the way a particular thing happens today. But I want you to kind of imagine yourself back in Paul's time. And you're part of a, you're part of a, a city or a province. And you decide, you know, the emperor is so far off. Uh, it takes, takes months for a boat to get here. The nearest legion is off doing something else. Now would be a great time to have a rebellion. So what you do is you have a rebellion. And, you know, you say, we're no longer paying you tribute. We're no longer doing whatever it is that you want us to do. We're, you're no longer the boss of me. Anyone ever prayed that prayer? Um, <laughs> I, I've prayed that prayer. Um, so so uh, they would have a rebellion. They would say, you are no longer the boss of me. And what would happen is eventually the king would say, well, let's find out about that. And he would send a, a legion, a loyal general, somebody nearby. And what they would do, could we have the next slide? They would surround your town. Okay. And they can't get inside because you've got walls. But what they can do is they can wait you out. And they would. And sometimes uh, the wait would be short. Sometimes the wait would be long. Sometimes it would take a few months. Sometimes it would take years to to uh, to get a castle or a, a walled city to give up. It depended on what kind of resources they had inside, if they had fresh water, things like that. But sometimes it would take a couple of years. Sometimes it would just take months. But in any event, they would surround the town and they would wait you out. That's what the, the legion would do, waiting outside your city walls. And during those months, they would periodically send an embassy to you. They'd, somebody would walk up to the front door, knock on the door, and say, we have a message. What is the message? Surrender. Here are the terms. And you could kind of take that or leave it. You, you could decide, I don't like those terms, and send him on his way. Or you could say, actually, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Let's, let's go for that. And what Paul is saying is we have become ambassadors that in a world full of people who are cities, who are walled fortresses, who have said, you are not the boss of me, that we become the ambassadors. We come up, we knock on the door, and we say, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you my story. I was that other city over there, okay? And I said, you're not the boss of me. And the army showed up and they started waiting me out. And one day, an ambassador came up to me and he said, here's the terms. I'm not counting your trespasses against you. That's it. I'm not going to take a bunch of slaves off and kill them in the arena. I'm not going to plow the earth with salt. I'm not going to do any of the things that conquerors do. I am not going to count your trespasses against you. That's what happened to me. That's what an ambassador was. Somebody who could say, who could speak into the, the local context, who could say, that's what the deal is. It would be somebody they could trust, somebody they could relate to, somebody ideally who could say, that's the deal they offered me. Somebody that they would believe when they said, it's a trustworthy, it's a trustworthy statement here. So Paul says, we have become, all of us, ambassadors for Christ. We go into a world full of people who are castles, who are waiting God out. And we say, I see things differently. Something has changed in my life. I begin to see my situation 
is not a good one. I begin to see that there are armies out there that can wait me out. I am not a really, this, this rebellion is not going to succeed. Ultimately, uh, either today, because things have gotten really unmanageable, or in 10 years, I don't like the direction I'm headed. I don't like the way things are headed. And one day, an ambassador came up to me and said, here's the deal. The king wants to reestablish that relationship. Paul says, he entreats us. On behalf of God, we entreat you. He's saying, God authorizes us to beg you to reconcile to him. With no cost to you, he does not count the trespass against us. So he says, we then become ambassadors ourselves. We, we agree. Yeah, our situation is hopeless. Either today or down the road, our situation is hopeless. So we agree. We give up. We reestablish. We, re, we reconcile to God. And he says, God then gives us the ministry of being those trustworthy ambassadors. So that's what Paul is talking about when he says salvation. He doesn't mean salvation like uh, I'm on the edge of a cliff and somebody pulls me back. He does, I mean, that, that can be the case, but he's saying that's not the only thing that God's salvation can be about. It can be about seeing your situation, realizing it's untenable, realizing this is not going to end well. It may not be a crisis, but down the road, it's not going to be pretty. To realize that situation, to see the situation, and to have an ambassador come into your life who can say, there's an alternative, and it won't cost you anything. And then Paul says, taking up that same ministry ourselves into the world we live in. So, so what do we do with that? What do we do with that perspective on salvation? I would say that there's really two questions asked. First of all, do you see creation differently? If you look at the world, if you look at the world, do you see it the same way everybody else does? The people, the people in your, in your work or, or in school, the people who live in your house, the people who live in your neighborhood. Do you see the world pretty much the same way as they do? Because if so, you've either got an exceptional group of people or else maybe you aren't a new creation yet. If you haven't gotten some sense that you're seeing the, beginning to see the world differently, then maybe you aren't a new creation yet. And that's a danger because it means when you look out, you think now's a good time to rebel. No, You're not the boss of me. But if you could see the armies out there, if you could see how this is going to end then maybe you should fold up now. That's the first part. The second question is, are you an ambassador? Have you become an ambassador to the people in your house? Not, not an army. You're, we're not called to be the army surrounding the city. Our job is not to say, you're in trouble and this is going to hurt. Our job is to say, let me tell you about the really good deal I got when I was in that situation. I was in exactly your situation. I had declared my province in rebellion and I got the best deal ever. That's the offer that we're, we're called to go knock on doors of castles with. And I wonder, I truly do wonder, um, because, because it's, it's the, the call for every Christian and it's the call for the church, I wonder how the world would be different if people saw the church not as the army that surrounds them, telling them what to do, telling them they better get back in line, but the ambassador saying, here's the deal. It's a great deal. I took this deal. Imagine if the church could become an army, not of warriors, but of ambassadors, who could tell people, 
about the God who does not hold their trespasses against them. Jesus is all these things we've talked about. He's, he's the Son of God. He's the Christ. He is our elder brother. But he is also our Savior. He is the first ambassador who calls us to be ambassadors as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the ministry that Jesus carried out on your behalf, begging us to be reconciled to you. And we pray, Lord, that as we begin to see the world differently, as we begin to see how hopeless our situation or the situation of people around us is, that you'll give us the courage and the honesty to come up and tell our own stories, to say what kind of a great deal you've given us. Lord, we pray for people who are in rebellion, people who are looking out and don't see the the peril that they are in. We pray that they would come to know you are God who begs them to be reconciled to you. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.